So normally, uh, normally during this time, we have like announcements or other things that we do. But right now, we're actually going to do something that's a little different. It's actually called passing of the peace. Um, and so this may be familiar for those who have come from Catholic backgrounds. Um, but for some of us, it's actually familiar. Just it doesn't have that type of phrase. It actually is just our time of greeting each other, but really taking intentional time. Instead of it just being random handshakes like it was pre-COVID, taking time to actually pass peace to one another. We are actually called to be the peacemakers. There's a reason why at the end of any type of basketball game, football game, um, or baseball game, there's an important part of shaking hands and actually making peace at the end of that game. Because as, as rough or as, as grueling as a play may be, or as something may be happening, we need to know at the end of that match or the end of that tournament or the end of that game that there is still peace between these people. And that's why like when those things don't happen um, in like a, either a match or a game, that's when it's a big deal. It's a big deal that people have not made peace with one another. Um, and that's what we're called to do. We're here to make peace with one another. We're here to congregate together and be with each other and make peace. So one of the things that you can say as far as traditionally in a liturgical way is the peace of Christ be with you. And then also, and then as you receive that, receive that and then say, and also with you. But then also take just an extra 10, 15 seconds with that person that you're with and really intentionally bless that person. Give and make peace to that person. And in some way, shape, or form, you may also need to make peace maybe with one individual or two individuals in this room that you haven't made peace with. And so I'm going to play, and we're going to take the next five minutes, yes, five minutes to go around to each other and make peace with one another and pass the peace to each other. Go ahead. As you guys are getting to your seats, I know, I know tonight's already a little bit different than normal. That's intentional. Uh, I want to lead us in a prayer of confession. And you may be like, wow, we really are getting strange tonight. But we believe that confessing our sins to God is something that we should do. And it's something you should do individually. But we also believe there's benefit in confessing corporately together as a church. Okay? So... I'm actually going to ask y'all to stand. If you've ever been to an old school traditional church, you know, you barely get to sit down, right? So this is our prayer of confession. Now, I want to invite you to do something. I'm going to, we'll go ahead and put the words up on the screen. If you don't mean this, hey, just give yourself a pass and don't say it, all right? But for all of the rest of us who realize that we have sinned already, like you had the best of intentions coming into the new year, and we made it all the way to January 2nd. And uh, things have gone sideways. This is a great time to just pray and to just confess. So we're going we're gonna to say this together. We'll kind of be in cadence and in rhythm. Do you guys think we can do this? There is a second screen to this. So when we finish, it'll roll over and we'll keep going. You'll know it's done when we say amen. All right? Let's do this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. 
We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. All right. Jacob's going to lead us in something called the doxology. Y'all check it out. All right, guys. So we're actually going to start with uh, our doxology with a moment of worship. Um, and so for those of us who have the baskets on each side, we're actually going to pass the baskets at first in our, in our moment of giving um, as our moment of worship. And then we're going to start the doxology, uh, which is a very traditional hymn that we're going to sing that is normally done at this time when we're actually um, giving praise to God with our finances, giving praise to God with our lips at the same time. Um, so it's very easy prayer if you've never done it before, um, and we're going we're gonna to do it a couple times just so we are familiar with it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Just sing Amen here. keeping with this old school theme, we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed. Raise your hand if you know the Apostles' Creed, you've recited it before. Okay, raise your hand if you have no idea what I'm talking about at all. It's cool, it's good. The Apostles' Creed is just a statement of things that we believe as Christ followers. So again, if you're not sure about this whole thing, do not feel pressured to say this. 
Uh, but if you claim Christ as Savior and you follow him as Lord, then, then this is just a, a series of things that we say that we believe about God, who he is, what he has done, what he's going to do. And before we even read it, I want you to understand, you're going to see the word Catholic in here, and you may be like, oh man, Kevin's trying to turn us Catholic with all this stuff we're doing tonight. No, Catholic in this context means universal, so the church. So not just the Catholic church, like down the street, but the whole church. Track it with me? All right, same thing as before. We're going to just read this all together. There's a cadence and a rhythm. There's multiple screens, okay? So let's recite the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, so tonight's been old school in some of what we've already done. And maybe it's been weird for you. Let me just tell you, if this is your first time, this is not how it is every Sunday. Uh, it'll be like this this week, obviously, and then next week, and then we'll be kind of back into some other things. But uh, we are old school in some of what we're doing tonight. We are also old school in what we're looking at in Scripture. If you were listening earlier, Autumn read for us from Genesis 3, verses 8 through 13. Uh, this is directly after the fall, right? So you probably are somewhat familiar with this story, but God creates Adam and Eve. He places them in this garden. He tells them there's one thing they can't do, and that one thing is eat the fruit, right? And not just like all fruit. There's only one tree that has fruit that they're not supposed to eat from. So naturally, that's the one that they are going to be drawn towards. You know what this is like. Somebody tells you, don't do this one thing. You can do whatever you want, just don't do this one thing. And immediately you're like, probably I want to do that one thing. Like, why would you not want me to do it? And so uh, as, as we kind of get into it, uh, the, the first part of, of the passage here, if you, if you want to turn there in your Bible, we'll put it up on the screen as well. Um, what is happening right now? There we go. Uh, it says that uh, when the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden, they hid from him among the trees. And so then God calls, where are you? Now, I'm asking you, did God not know where they were? Were they just so good at the first game of hide and seek that he was flummoxed? No. So why did he ask? Yeah, that's definitely one take is like, hey, not physically where are you, but like, where are you? I think he's calling them to take account for where they are spiritually, that they've created separation. And what Adam replies is, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid because I was afraid because I was naked. If you've got the handout from the back table, 
uh, I want you to write this down because I think we see a lot of how we respond and how we see Adam and Eve respond because in our sin, we hide. We hide. They heard God coming and they decided, let's hide from him. Let's get away. Let's not let him see us. And I think it's possible many of us in this room has viewed God as some kind of cosmic highway patrolman. He's just lurking around the corner waiting to pull you over and bust you. And so you spend a lot of time just trying to hide from God, trying to kind of keep things, I don't know, low-key, incognito, whatever kind of language you want to use, but you're hiding. And so right here at the beginning of the year, it's day two of 365, I just want to ask you, what are you, what are you hiding from God about? Why are you hiding? Is that working out really well for you? Like, do you think God doesn't know what you've got going on? I assure you he does. He knows everything about you, every mistake that you have ever made in the past, and every mistake he'll ever see you make in the future. And that might be very heavy, but I think that's good news because that means when Jesus came and died on the cross, he already knew all of our stuff, all of our brokenness, all of our sin. And we don't have to hide. You don't have to hide. I love this response from God. Who told you you were naked? Now, that's a weird thing to us because no one has to tell you you're naked like you know, right? I hope. But they had always been naked. Like before this time of, of separating from God, and he's going to make clothes for them in a minute, they'd just always been naked and knew no shame. Like they were good with it. It was not a problem. But the Bible tells us that when they ate the fruit at that moment, their eyes were open, they became aware of their nakedness, and so they hid themselves. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you to not eat? Now, again, let me ask you something. Did God not know that they had eaten? He did know. So why is he asking a question he already knows the answer to? He's trying to get them to come to terms of where they are. So <laughs> what I want you to see about this response is it's very similar, again, to what we do today. Look how this buck gets passed. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Who is Adam blaming here? And it was the woman. Men have been blaming women ever since the beginning. See, it's right there, all right? Nothing new under the sun, right? It was the woman that you gave me. I mean, God, if you wouldn't have given me this woman, I'm just saying. Adam refuses to own what he has participated in. He is blaming Eve. And then I love her response. I just kind of imagine God turning, okay, well, so he's blaming you, so talk to me. And she goes, uh, it was the serpent. He deceived me. That's why I ate it. So who's she blaming? The serpent. Nobody here wants to take ownership. They just want to blame other people. And that's your second fill-in at the top. In our sin, we blame others. You have done this probably this weekend. Something that you know that you have done that is wrong, but you will look for ways to justify yourself and you will blame other people. So I'm going to tell a story on myself from just last week. Um, we were coming to church. It was actually the week before Christmas. It was pajama jam day in children's world. And so uh, my whole family were in our matching white Christmas pajamas. 
And on the way to church, my wife wants coffee because that's something she needs to function. Many of you can relate. And so we get to the Starbucks on West Georgia Road, and we're waiting in the line. Yeah, shout out to those of you who work there or have been there. Um, we're waiting in the line, and it's taking forever, and I'm furious. I'm just to be honest. I'm trying to get to church. Like, I got places to be. And so I'm already mad. Maybe you can relate to being mad in a drive-thru because it's taking longer than you think it should. And the lady's trying to be very sweet. She's trying to make small talk with me, and I'm just like, cool. Like, just can you get me my wife's coffee so we can leave? No lie, we wait there for like five minutes. I'm, I'm like stewing. She finally goes to hand me this coffee. I reach out to grab it, and in bringing it into the car, I hit the top of the door. Hot coffee. Yeah, it hurt, A, and B, it stained my white pajamas. Oh, so mad. I, she's like, whoops, and she was just so positive. Let me get you some napkins. I was just like, oh. Handed the coffee to my wife. I'm like, trying to, but like huge brown splotches. I was just like, okay. And we drove away. Julie didn't say a word to me. Even the kids got quiet. Like I, I was radiating. I was so mad at that woman for handing me that coffee in such a way that I knocked it into the door. And then I was mad at my wife. Like, why do you need coffee? Can't you just wake up like a normal person? You have to have drugs to go to church, Julie. This is all going in my head. Whose fault was this? It was my fault. There's literally no one else to blame. I, like an idiot, like I've never received anything from any human being in a drive-thru before, smashed a coffee into my own door. Like in football, sometimes it's questionable, like who the fumble should be accounted to, the quarterback or the running back. It was 100% me. It was not the sweet old lady at Starbucks. It was me. I was so mad. And it took me until we got to church, and I realized I'm at church. Let me check myself. And I had to tell my wife, there's no one to be mad at. There's not even anything to be mad about. Who cares? But I'm really sorry I reacted that way. She's like, okay. <laughs> she, she still wasn't really ready to engage with me, but I, I get it. I get it. Uh, here's the deal. We got to stop blaming other people, and we have to stop hiding. So I'll very quickly move through my final two points, and, and I phrased them in the first person because I want you to be able to say this for yourself. Today, I will stop hiding. Today, I will stop hiding. I don't know what you're hiding from, and I'm not saying everybody in this room is, but somebody in this room is, and I would be willing to bet many of us, most of us, the majority of us are hiding from God about something. We just don't want to deal with it because we feel like if we unpack it, it would just be too much, and there's nothing that you could be dealing with that God can't handle, and there's nowhere you can go that you can actually get away from him. Psalm 139, jot this down. I know I've said it probably a million times in my years here. It's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. And what the psalmist tells us is, no matter where I go, the highest high, the lowest low, the darkness can't even hide me from God. He sees every part of you. He knows you more intimately than you know yourself. Stop trying to hide. I want you to see this verse from 1 John chapter 1. It says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. It doesn't say if you're righteous enough or religious enough or spiritual enough or Christian enough or if you've been to church enough, if you'll confess, he will forgive. That's why we practiced the confession together earlier. I'm hoping that's something that you can begin to do on your own. We've got to confess our sin. We've got to stop hiding. The second piece is, today I'll own my shortcomings. 
Today I will own my shortcomings. Hey, for me, it's acknowledging I have a temper. And I've, I've come a long way, but there's still some ways to go. I need to continue to work on that. I need to continue to be in community with people who can call me on that. I need to continue to confess those things and realize it's not someone else's fault when I sin. It's something that I chose. It's not something we like to think about. But when you sin, you are actively choosing to do something that you know is out of line with God's will. Oh, whoops, I had no idea, God. No, you you knew. Let's be real. 99% of the time. Maybe at some point you're like, oh, I had no idea that was wrong. But most of the time, you know. You have sinned. You're not perfect. Release yourself from that burden. In fact, Romans 3.23 says, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. From the most righteous person you know, your sweet old grandma who bakes you cookies and prays all the time, like, she has sinned. She's fallen short. The best person you know has fallen short. We have all sinned, and we've got to own our shortcomings I won't read this all to you, um, but in Luke 18, you can jot down this reference if you want. Luke 18, 9 through 14, Jesus tells the story of two people who come to the temple. One of them comes with great confidence, and one of them comes with great brokenness. See, the person who comes with brokenness is a tax collector who is somebody that would not have been well regarded by Jews in that time. And Jews are the people who are hearing Jesus tell this story. Jesus says these two men come. And the one man is so puffed up with pride and arrogance, he goes, thank you, God, that I'm not like this awful person over here. But the other person who's a tax collector comes, and it says that like, he won't even come like, fully into the experience of being there, but he stays a little bit further back. And his heart is broken. And he says to God, like, I-, I acknowledge my brokenness. He says, be merciful to me, God, I am a sinner. And Jesus says, it's this person who was broken and owned it who left justified, not the person who came in and was very religious and thought they had it all together. So maybe just release yourself from that facade in the new year. Maybe just own your shortcoming and stop hiding. I'm going to invite Jacob and the band to come back. They're going to sing one final song for us. And as they come, I just want to challenge you to think about this. Think about this for yourself. Where are you in your relationship with God? Is it something that matters to you? Do you see fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? Is it something you want to pursue in 2022? We do this thing, we're like, hey, it's a new year, new me. I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year, and you're already two days behind. Don't live your life by spiritual checklists. Come honestly and openly to God. Come out from wherever you're hiding and take ownership of where you have fallen short. Let me pray for us. God, you love us even though we don't deserve it. We have all fallen short of your glory. We've sinned. Some of us even right before we came in here today. My prayer, quite simply, is that all of us, students and adults alike, would have the courage and conviction to stop hiding and take ownership of our sin. You tell us that if we will confess to you that you will forgive us. And Jesus, we need your forgiveness here in the beginning of this year. So Holy Spirit, move, speak to us. Lead and guide our hearts. It's in Christ's name that we pray.